0: Welcome to the Talking Code Podcast. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Venkat Dhinavahi. And we're having short interviews with experts that help you decode what developers are saying.
1: If you're a first-time listener, make sure to go to TalkingCode.com and sign up for our mailing list. We send out links to new interviews along with exclusive content just for our subscribers. Today we're talking with Louisa Barrett of Hot Codeworks. She is a self-described junior developer. And we're talking about being a junior developer. How are you doing today, Louisa?
2: I'm great. Thanks for having me.
1: So, are you still a junior developer right now?
2: Um, I think my technically my my title at work is just developer, okay. with the flexibility to towards the junior or mid-level we direction depending we don't on the know. day. <laughs> 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 so depends on what I'm trying to do.
1: Junior mediate.
2: I'm a junior immediate
1: developer (laughs) yet. So, we were actually talking about this before we started recording here. And we're saying that, like Venkat and I, because we haven't been junior developers at a company. You know, we've just been working on our own, like we both started out starting startups and we don't really have benchmarks for that. So like I don't know whether I'm a junior or an intermediate or senior or like what I'd even call myself if nobody's giving me a title. So it's great that your company has been flexible at letting you decide <laughs> what you are.
2: Well, I think I think it's a little bit like they, they kind of don't really always know either. So it's a little bit just like everyone has sort of mutually decided that the fluidity is <laughs>
1: It's good. It's it's okay. It's acceptable. It's
2: fine. <laughs> yeah, it's a very laid back shop, so it's pretty great.
1: Okay, well, we're still very specifically talking about a junior developer, which is yes. you know somebody that is uh, just coming into a company for the first time. Do you want to help me define that?
2: So I would I would say within this context that um, it's somebody who is either in the process of. Going through a boot camp sort of towards the end of it and then looking for their first job or just getting into their first job and sort of figuring out how to find a place for themselves and maybe how to find that first company and just how to get started, how to get some traction and get get rolling as a okay. developer.
1: Okay, got it. Yeah. -in-law uh, Brady is actually about to finish up at uh, dev boot camp so he's going to be in that junior developer category
2: ah, it's exciting
1: <laughs> Brady I hope you're listening to this <laughs> uh, so no pressure <laughs> you actually went to art school and I have a degree in art history so I studied what you practiced so nice. I studied to practice to study what you practiced. <laughs> But I, I don't do that anymore, obviously. So explain to me, how did you go from going to an art school to wanting to learn how to cook? because that seems like, you know, a pretty big difference right there.
2: Sure. So when I went to college initially, I actually grew up in a, um, a very scientific community. Um, I grew up in Los Alamos, New Mexico, which is where like they designed and built the atomic bomb. <laughs> so I grew up in sort of like this weird little pocket of science and math and everything and I guess sort of going to art school it was a little bit of like me being like I don't want to do that I'm gonna do something different <laughs> so, um, and I actually initially went to school for illustration so I was planning on I wanted to be an illustrator and then once I got there I sort of discovered design and really got excited about how design is all about making things for people and making experiences for people. So I switched gears and I got a degree in graphic design and I was working in exhibit design for about seven years. And I just had a little bit of experience with HTML and CSS in college. And I kind of was like, oh, no, that's too scary. I can't do that. So I (laughs) was doing exhibit design, so more physical spaces and physical interactions. So people were like, you know, navigating through spaces and Signage and that sort of stuff, and I gradually discovered that there were all these really cool digital components that were being um, incorporated into spaces, and I was kind of realizing that by not understanding code and not knowing how to program, I sort of cut myself off from being able to be a part of that at all. So, so this discovering this was about three years before I actually finally took the plunge into doing this. So I kind of figured out like, oh my gosh, like, there's all of this cool digital stuff that I want to be a part of, but I wasn't really sure where to start. So I did a lot of research. I took a very basic like intro to HTML and CSS class at a local community college. And then I was just sort of investigating if I wanted to go back to school again and try to get like a, a bachelor's degree in computer science or something, or like, I don't know, just figure out some other way to get more experience with code and like computer science stuff. And then I discovered Dev Bootcamp, And the fact that it was, you know, a fairly short period of time made me a little nervous. So (laughs) I kind of kept exploring to see if there were any more uh, longer options. And I found G-School in Denver that was being run by Jeff Casimir at that time um, when they very first started. And he'd run Hungry Academy with Living Social and then came to Denver to to launch this new six-month program. After my class at G school, he started uh, the Turing School of Software and Design. So I kind of got a little bit of both programs, I think. <laughs> it's a little bit of a blend.
0: Nice. And
2: it gave me a little more time to kind of figure it out because I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. And I knew that I didn't know what I was getting myself into. So I wanted more time. (laughs) So (laughs) the six month program was really good for me. And it's been a really positive change for me. And it's also something that has let me build on my design background. So it's been a really great combination of skills and interests for me.
1: Well, I mean, it's really interesting to me to just hear your progression and that it was, you know, not something overnight, you know, I think people kind of tend to forget that, you know, it's not as though you woke up one morning and decided I want to write software. (laughs) It was like a three year long process, like you decided or described from going from I have an inkling that this is something that's important to me in my life to, okay, I'm doing this and I need to figure out how to make it happen. So that's, that's really interesting.
0: So from that moment, when you when you decided, I want to learn how to code, how long was it before you became a junior developer, before you got an official job?
2: So basically, I, I feel like once I finally sort of was like, I'm going to just rip the bandaid off and do it, I had applied to G-School and I, I had applied sort of thinking like, there's like, no, there's no way they're going to let me into this program. And then they did. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> well, I guess we're doing this now. <laughs> so It really was basically like I I was it's a six month long program. And then I when it ended, I moved into an apprenticeship. So I had like I took I like had my paperwork signed before the program ended. And then I took two weeks to sort of like sleep and then (laughs) I went back to work.
0: And what was your background at that moment when you applied? Like how much programming did you know?
2: Basically, just the, the six months of like the Ruby and Rails work that we'd covered in class. So, whatever we'd covered in G school, so you know we would just sort of working through rails exercises we'd built if we built apps, so we'd built several different things and at that point, I had mostly been focusing on front end like view layer stuff, so i had and i because my my design background I sort of end up gravitating to front end because I care about it a lot and I care about how what I'm building impacts people that are gonna use it ultimately, so I did a lot of. I felt like I sort of gravitated towards front end work. So I ended up sort of focusing on that. And that's kind of where I landed after the program, which has been a good fit for me.
1: So when you ended up applying for this, uh, you know, actually going out and looking for work, did you really feel comfortable going into it out of the program?
2: I was terrified. (laughs) (laughs) I I remember I I really felt like, oh man, like this is, I felt like totally like a fish out of water. And it's, um, I think this is one of the things that's so great about a program like that is that you're kind of surrounded by this really positive group of people that are like really rooting for you and they're really encouraging and they want you to like take that next step and, they they understand that it's it can be kind of a big jump for people, you know, to finish these programs and then just like, okay, now go be a dev. And so it's um so I had a lot of encouragement and a lot of support, just like community support it felt like, just for my classmates and my instructors. So it, that really helped and I just sort of felt at that point like I didn't really give myself a lot of options to not just go for
0: it. <laughs> right. And so looking back how did you feel that you know the dev boot camp and the g school prepared you for your job
2: i think that i mean it really just totally immerses you in the community a lot and it really sets you up with best practices like you i think you understand the industry a lot better than you i would have if i if i hadn't done those programs i wouldn't have understood how like a realistic sort of workflow would be in a company so you know, we, when we were working on these projects, we were put in project teams. So we had, I think towards the end, we were working on teams of like three to four people in G-School. And we had, so, we're, and you know, you're using like pull requests and all of these various tools that you actually use at a real company. And so we're doing code reviews and double checking things before they get merged into your master branch and before you like deploy it and everything. So you really are trying to, to use best practices. So when you get into a company, it's not totally foreign And I think that that's really helpful. And I think that especially for me, like I didn't know about that stuff at all before I started the program. So it was really helpful to have just that experience of understanding all these different parts of what it means to be doing web development. It's not just writing Ruby code. It's like understanding Git and understanding GitHub and understanding source control. So it's it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I, I really wish I had that sort of education when, I mean, when I was in college, I studied computer science and after graduating i felt like i was almost starting from square one because i hadn't learned and learned any of the industry best practices like i even remember a moment when we had my friend and i had built a site in php and we wanted to deploy it to the cloud and then our friend had to help us out and he was telling us oh you just have to like push it on git and we're like well what's git like what do you do with that <laughs> and then, so he was very exasperated with us but yeah they don't teach you any of that in college. I don't know if it's changed since then. Yeah, I mean,
1: it, it's interesting that you describe like workflow as being something that you learned because you know I don't see that being taught out there in any of the online courses or anything like that. You know, you, you may get a little bit of it. You'll get like people teaching how to use GitHub, um, how to use Git generally, but there's still a difference between doing things on your own and doing things with people. And mm-hmm. you know, speaking of that, um, and I, I want to come back to sort of how the community. Support has helped you um, later on, but going back to when you were starting to learn initially, or you know, preparing to think about going to one of these boot camps, you had said that networking was one of the most impactful things for helping you start learn. Why do you think that is? Well,
2: I think especially when you're when you're brand new and you're just starting out in the community, like nobody nobody really knows who you are, and especially if you know you're in a boot camp where you are just sort of tossed into the thick of it, um, and then. At the end of a set amount of time, the expected sort of end result is that you're going to just be able to get a job. When you're networking, it it helps people know who you are. And when you are consistently showing up to things and being present and being a face in the community, it shows people that you really are committed and you're not just sort of, oh, I'm sort of curious and dabbling. It's like, no, I'm like, I'm going to do this. And this is really something that is important to me. And I might not be great at it yet, but damn it, I'm gonna keep showing up. And that is, it's really important. It's, I mean, it's it's just made a huge difference for me. And it's something that I've I've had a lot of conversations with people who are coming out of boot camps or currently in boot camps about.
0: What did networking mean in your situation? Because everyone seems to have a different idea of what networking. Sure. Is. <laughs>
2: So Denver is pretty cool because we've got a lot of. It's got a very Denver and Boulder both have a very active uh, tech community, and there are lots of meetups and there's lots of they have like conferences and then we've got a lot of sort of communal working spaces.
0: Uh, we co-working spaces. Co-working spaces. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so I work out like, of one.
2: <laughs> there you go. Um, so we have a lot of co-working spaces and they host a lot of these events. And the way G School was set up is actually inside of one of these co-working spaces. So you can basically just sort of like wander out of the classroom and you're just in the middle of all these companies in various levels of success. So like they're either, there's like one guy sitting at a table and that's the company or they actually have a room rented out and there's like 15 people working there. So you're just really immersed in startup culture and the community. And it's really important because you just, they see you and they get to know you. And then also those are the people who potentially could be hiring you. And if you're talking to them and they like you, that's how they decide they want to take a risk on hiring somebody who doesn't have a very long track record.
0: And w- when you're in such an environment and in these conferences and situations where there are so many people who could help take you to the next step in your process for whatever you need to do, how, why is it so hard to find a mentor?
2: Mentors are, they're somebody who's having to commit pretty deeply to you and your learning. And that's a pretty, I think for a lot of people, that's kind of a big it's a big thing to ask of someone and not everybody has the time or energy or the confidence that you're going to be like a good person to work with in that capacity. And also some people just don't have maybe the patience or the time to really be a mentor that's truly is there for their mentee as they might want to be. So it's tricky because if, especially if you're not doing the groundwork of showing up to these events and talking to a lot of people and getting to know people in sort of a casual social level in the community, then it's really difficult to find someone who's going to be like, yes, like you can call me, you can shoot me an email whenever you need, if you have questions, and I'll be happy to look at your code or, you know, whatever, like, I'll be happy to do whatever or I'll meet with you a couple times a week or just, I mean, it's really that's a lot to ask of someone who's got a full time job and maybe a family and they're really busy. So,
1: so I have this vague gut feeling, at least that mentorship is, you know, really time Consuming, But can you explain, maybe just in your case at least, what a mentor really helps with? Um, and then we can kind of see just how time-consuming it is from that.
2: Sure. I feel like I've been really lucky to have just sort of been surrounded by people who are really happy to share their time with me. So I've actually had several really wonderful people that I would consider mentors and friends. And, well, I think they start out as mentors and then they just sort of gradually turn into what I would consider friends. And um, they've, you know, initially it sort of depends on the person and depends on sort of what their company is like. Certain companies really encourage their employees to be involved with the community and to do outreach and mentorship and stuff so they actually can get a little bit of time during the day to work with you. And other people just really love teaching and love working with up and coming people, And they're willing to, you know, like meet with you after work or whatever. And so it depends on sort of the moment. And and when you're in a boot camp, you need help a lot more often, I think, than you would normally if you were just sort of working on your own time because you have, you actually have deadlines and there's a lot of pressure and you're normally sort of in a state of various degrees of just total panic. (laughs) So you're often reaching out to people weird hours and just shooting emails and being like, can we pair for a little while? I don't really understand something or can you take a look at what I did? I think it's like not working, but I don't really understand why. And, or, you know, just if you're in my case, I I really struggled in the first half of G school just because I was kind of just in over my head and my, my mentors were really good at just giving me pep talks. (laughs) Just just sort of like sitting me down and being like, let's have some deep breaths. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, Congratulations. So, you know, it just sort of depends, you know, that's, it depends on where you are with your learning and what kind of problems you're trying to solve. But the amount of time and investment it takes on their part can vary quite a bit.
1: You know, it's really funny that to hear you talk about that because, you know, I was trying to think of it from my perspective. I've got, you know, a few friends and family that I'm trying to help to varying degrees of help, often not as much as I would like. And I was trying to think of it from the perspective of okay, how can I help be a mentor? But yet, what I'm listening to you describe ends up sounding like some relationships with people that I've, I think I've kind of forced on them. <laughs> you know, like uh, there's this uh, uh, buddy of mine, uh, Mark, who has, he was a contractor working on the same project that Venkat and I were contracted on. And you know, just in the past couple of weeks while I've been working on this, you know, like I basically was trying to learn Swift, iOS, like build an app. I was just like, hey, can I ask you a bunch of questions? <laughs> and it's just turned into like every day me messaging him on Gchat saying, hey man, I've got another question for you. <laughs> so it's, it's funny that like, I guess I've seen the mentorship relationship grow out of, you know, existing friendships. But the way that like, a mentorship can end up being established really informally, but the key here is very slowly, right? Like it's not yeah. like all at once somebody's like, "Yeah, sure, let me devote like several hours a week to you." <laughs> and I, I, <laughs> email
2: me whenever you need help, and I'll right. be there.
1: I don't, I don't think that happens.
2: Yeah, and I think, I mean, like what you're describing, so like you have an existing friend who you know you you know can help you, and then you just sort of keep asking him for help, and it sort of evolves into a, a mentorship. I think that, that that's also a really great way to have that happen. And I had one mentor specifically who would say, like, your job is to email me as much as you need to and whenever you need help, and my job is to tell you when I don't have time. <laughs> so I was like, okay. You know, so it's it's pretty cool to be able to not worry so much about, like, oh my gosh, am I being intrusive and just sort of maybe lay the ground rules initially right. early I, on.
1: It's funny that you say that because I've actually, um, I don't know, I feel like I've been aggressive with some people and saying like please do that um and of course there are cases where i don't have time and i think i need to keep looping back with them and saying like no seriously even though i don't have time sometimes please come back to me again with the questions because like i know what it feels like to sit there and struggle and waste you know like a day of your time on trying to figure out how to write jason in swift for example (laughs) And then yeah. only be able to connect <laughs> up with Mark and ask him questions about it later. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, it's, it's really like those kind of events can be events that could for some people entirely derail their learning. And, you know, mm-hmm. they just like decide, wow, this is so difficult and I'm not getting any help that I, I don't think I can do it. So, you know, yeah. I, I want to try and be more aggressive, I think, with people about, yes, please, please do reach out to me when you yeah. are stuck.
0: And for me, as uh, somebody who, who's mentored a handful of, of people, the attitude is very important to me. So I want to see, like, if somebody asks me, like, a, for a quick tip, and then I, you know, I give them my my two cents on it, and then they come back to me a week later, having implemented everything and like read about it. I love to see that because I feel that I'm giving advice that's actually going somewhere and having an impact. The flip side is when you give somebody some advice and you never hear back from them.
2: Right. Yeah. And that, I think that's kind of where, why it's tricky to, to find a mentor and have a really solid mentor is because I think a lot of people who are really willing to, to share their time with, with people kind of get burned sometimes like that. And it's surprising to me that, that people wouldn't necessarily be like aggressively following up and really like, thank you for your time. I'm respecting that you have given me this time that you could be using on any other thing. And you're sharing it with me. And I just really appreciate that. And I'm going to Take what, what you give me and like go run with it as far as I can, and then try to lug you again when I need it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of mentor-like relationships, you made a distinction between team members that are helpers and team members that are teachers. Can you explain that distinction for us?
2: Right. So, so I, th- I would say that everyone that I've worked with is a helper in some capacity. I've never I've never worked with anyone, and I feel like knock on wood. Like, <laughs> Hopefully this stays this way for as long as possible. But I've never worked with anyone who when I ask them for help is kind of like, Oh, no, what a bummer. I have to go help this person now. So I think that sort of like at the most sort of foundational level of getting help from someone when you're brand new to this is they're going to sort of they'll probably pair with you and they might walk you through what's going on and kind of explain as they're going, but they'll probably be doing most of the think most of the critical thinking and most of the like kind of deciding where the where you're headed with everything. So like the final solution is going to have come from them. And you're going to kind of be along for the ride. And you'll be, you know, picking things up and learning things and they'll get you unstuck. And it's, it's really helpful. And it's really awesome to work with people like this. But at the end of the day, when you when you finish working with them, you may still be stuck on those same problems. Like the next time you, you hit that you might be stuck again, because they kind of did all the critical thinking for you. And they explained it as they went, but you weren't the one having to make those connections
1: so what I'm hearing here actually um, sounds like a difference between like tactics and strategy so you know like the helper it sounds like is helping you with very tactical things you know like okay mm-hmm. you're stuck on some sort of syntactical issue or maybe it's you know a series of of tactical things that gets you to some sort of end state but mm-hmm. it does sound like the teacher is this person who's much more strategic about getting you to you know, make these mistakes and um, yes. learn yourself. Is that accurate? I would,
2: yeah, I would definitely agree with that. So I would say that teachers are generally the people who, and I think it also takes to be a really good teacher. It really takes a really deep understanding of what what's going on. So these are the people who are going to be super senior and also really good teachers, which can be kind of a hard thing to do. So somebody who's super senior and really understands it, but can still break things down into really understandable small bites for somebody who doesn't understand as much right? and they're able to kind of point you in the right direction and then they'll let you sort of chew on it and they'll help you and they'll kind of see the path that you are headed in and they'll help you make it down that path. Even if it's the wrong direction and you're going to hit a dead end and it's not going to work, they will help you get there and then when it doesn't work, they'll talk to you about it and they'll, they'll help you understand why it didn't work and then they'll help you back up and start over again and get back on the path that is going to work. So, they're helping you make those connections and those sort of strategic connections that are allowing you to understand better why you're hitting these problems that you're hitting and then how to be smart about avoiding them next time or to recognize that you're about to hit them next time.
1: Right. It sounds like the teacher archetype is somebody that, you know, really needs to be sort of, like you said, obviously very knowledgeable because without that, based on knowledge, you can't have anything. But they also sort of need to be very empathetic towards the person that they're helping um, or that they're teaching rather. (laughs) And they need to also be sort of a fortune teller. Like they need to know what is going to happen when you inevitably end up going down this path. So like I need to sort of have some insight into the fact that like, okay, I know where Luisa's head is at right now. She's about to make this mistake. And I know when she goes down that path, like how we're going to have to come out of it. But I'm just going to go ahead and let her do this. And I'm aware that this is happening. And, you know, maybe it hurts me a little bit to watch it <laughs> happening. But like I, I can move yeah. it back around and use it as a teachable moment, which yeah. I think is really interesting.
2: And then often when it is the painful part, you can see that they're making the like the pain face. They're like, oh, but they don't say anything. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't do it.
0: I think the best teachers always like take the extra time to explain why they're doing something. So yeah. I do remember, like uh, I forget who it was, they explained like the don't repeat yourself. Like you always hear, don't repeat yourself. You know, if you're if you're a helper, you might just say, uh, delete this, pull it into a function because you don't want to repeat yourself. But the teacher will be patient and explain to you why exactly that's important. It's yeah.
1: really funny to me how many times I've heard the phrase, don't repeat yourself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that seems
1: really ironic for some yeah. reason. <laughs> yeah, right. So is there anything that you can suggest that you've really seen from people who are, because I, I think I'd prefer to be a teacher than a helper, mm-hmm. um, it seems like. Uh, you know, it it depends, obviously, on the, the, the instance, you know, if we've got a deadline and things need to get done. You know, <laughs> sure. Maybe maybe I don't have time to, you know, go down all these false paths. But, sure. you know, I think generally I'd like to be more of a teacher to junior developers. Like when Brady comes out of Dev boot camp and I try and help him get up to speed, you know, I I need to be there for him in that way. Is there anything that you've seen that has um really especially helped? Like any tips that you'd give me?
2: I think understanding what, so this is, and this is from my experience being the person who is making the, the tactical errors <laughs> and, and watching the people who are trying to teach me and working with me um, and sort of their, what they've done to help me figure things out. And I think one of the things that's really helpful is one of my teachers was Katrina Owen and she, she created um, IO, and she's really good at watching what you're doing and then like, asking you why you're doing that and then figuring out why you're making this error and, like, kind of finding the pain points that you keep hitting. So, like, if you hit if you do something strange several times in a row, she's going to be like, okay, like, what is that? Why are you doing that? And then she would sort of back it out into a little bite-sized little test suite that you would have to solve just around that one little problem. And, like, she, she realized that I didn't really understand in G-School that I didn't really understand how to do, like changes of state in Ruby. And so she helped me just do these, like, a bunch of little exercises that just, like, maybe three tests, like, the door is closed, and now the door is open. Like, write that. And it was, like, magical light bulb moment, because she just, you know, she figured out, like, we're working on bigger problems, and then she just figured out that there was this one smaller problem that was a consistent sort of, like, not clicking. And then she just sort of took a step back and then helped until that was like super solid and then we could move forward and it was pretty cool so I think- that's
1: a that's a really great teacher to have too you really worked out there
2: yeah. I, and that's what I'm saying like I feel like I've just been like so lucky I've gotten to work with some really wonderful people that are just like amazing so well, yeah been- I,
1: I mean Katrina did the talk on uh, therapeutic refactoring so like yeah. you basically just got to experience therapeutic Refactoring and I know. at the same time, <laughs> which wow! I hate sounding star starstruck and fanboyish, but that would have been really great. <laughs>
2: it was yeah, it was very, it was very cool. It was very cool. It was very like, I mean, yeah, she's definitely one of the people that kept me going when I was just like, this is too hard. <laughs> she's like, no, you can do it.
1: I'm like,
0: okay,
2: <laughs> I guess I can. Never mind. <laughs>
0: So once you get out of a boot camp, what kind of companies are are best to join?
2: Well, so I sort of break them down into sort of three categories. Um, You have like a product company, which is um, a bigger, I mean, not necessarily bigger, but they're going to just be doing one thing. So they're going to be working on one product. So you're going to probably have more consistent, calmer work environment, like you're not going to be needing to hop around to different clients, you're not going to, you know, you're going to be probably be able to give in, be given one task in one part of the code base, and you'll just be able to work in that and really understand it very deeply. And that's, I think, if you're, if you're pretty green, that's probably a pretty good bet for you is to just start someplace that's going to let you move a little bit more slowly and really deeply understand what you're doing. And then, you know, depending on the company, you can move around and maybe work on more challenging things and work with lots of different people. So we have product company, and then we have a consultancy or agency, and that's going to be a company that has multiple clients. They're building products for multiple people, so they have lots of different clients. You're you're much going to be more worried about billable hours, and that's going to be a little bit of a tricky balance for a junior. Because you are slower, and the client's having to pay for your time, so I think that, that sometimes is a little bit of a risk for the the company to take you on because they know that they're going to have to figure out how to bill for your time appropriately and understand that you know you are going to take longer to accomplish things that somebody who has more experience can you know do a little bit more quickly, and the client's not going to have to be paying for that. I think that they do generally. They'll they'll move a little more quickly. You may have to you know, hop around to different client projects, you're going to be getting into different code bases, probably fairly frequently. And that can be kind of jarring, if you're brand new, because you, you know, you get kind of settled in one code base, and you're like, okay, I understand this, I know where everything is, I understand how things are built. And then you get put on something else that is maybe built a little differently. And you're just like, I'm kind of lost here. And You have to be able to get ramped up pretty quickly in these different projects. And that can be kind of a challenge. But, you know, if you like challenges and you like having that kind of action and a little bit more excitement and more diversity in what you're getting to do, that's pretty awesome and pretty fun. And then, of course, there's a startup, which, you know, is going to be very fast-paced and kind of a roller coaster ride probably. And I think generally the advice that I've been given is that those are not best fit for most boot camp graduates. I think that there are there are often people and they graduate these programs that are really, really good and they could hit the ground running at a startup and kick butt and it wouldn't really be an issue. But I think for probably most graduates, a startup is gonna be a little bit too wild west. <laughs> if, if you if you need something that has a little bit more support and maybe a couple seniors or mid level devs that you can pair with. startups often, you know, you might just be, you might be the only engineer and that's probably not where you want to be as a junior.
1: Right. Yeah. I, I found that to be the case, at least. I mean, we had a client previously that had brought on somebody from a boot camp, and we weren't really sure, like at that time, how to advise them on that. So, you know, we said basically here are the conditions under which this would work, you know, here are conditions under which that it won't. Um, Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, you know, it ended up, Going down the path of the conditions where it wasn't going to work. Um, You know, it's just, you need to work at such a pace at a startup that often, you know, you don't have the time to uh, bring somebody like that on. So, I mean, it still is very person dependent. Like you said, there are people that come out of these boot camps who are just amazing, but then there are people who really need an extra hand. And, you know, a startup might not be the right fit. Uh, But going back to what you were talking about on the consultancy side, you know, I think for us, for me right now, I'm trying to experience that as well. Because like I said, Brady is going to be coming out of the boot camp here in like a month. And I think so far, at least he's been, you know, one of the like better performers there. You know, so I think he's, he's like really picking things up quickly and um, he should be able to roll into things right away. But you know, it is certainly a challenge for me to you know figure out how to bring him into the loop on things. Like it's it's good that he has like the mentorship that he's going to need coming into it. Like I'll you know like I said, hopefully we'll provide that to him well. But I think without like if we were a larger consultancy, um, it would probably be a little more challenging to fit him in there. Um, you know, he'd have to be you know more explicitly like an apprentice. Um, you know, I think it's just really challenging. I I haven't really come to, you know, a consensus answer on how it's going to work yet, largely because he's not here. And, you know,
2: <laughs> that does make it harder. Right. Use your fortune telling um, skills. Exactly.
1: Exactly. I, I wish I were one of these teacher archetypes, because then I would know
2: <laughs> you just you just intuit it.
1: Yeah. I'm like, well, we're going to go down some of these false paths. And but I know it's going to end up turning out all right in the end anyways. <laughs> But yeah, I, I think I guess it really is all dependent upon the structure at the company that you're going to. Um, not necessarily the type. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Because and it depends on the, the, the tolerance of the team and I think the management to give you the time that you need to do the work that you're assigned and then also just to ramp up and get in the to get into the swing of things. I, and different companies have different levels of tolerance for that.
1: Yeah, I think that impresses on me that like on both the company side, who's doing the hiring and on the you know potential employee side, you really need to have honest conversations if you're not having honest conversations if you're not like voicing your concerns about some of these things up front, then you're going to necessarily run into problems and I think it's better to get all that out into the open early and decide then that hey, maybe this isn't fully comfortable for either of us um you know we need a better fit i think. People are often too willing to look over some of these, you know, very very obvious, challenging things simply because it's a tough hiring market and you need people. Sure.
2: Sure. And it also sounds like a really great idea. You know, like you, it's, it's really, I think, I think a lot of people sort of feel like bringing on a junior and then like helping them get their first job under their belts and, you know, being a part of their like development is in this industry and their career. It's, it's a pretty cool thing to be a part of. And I think it's easy to, you know, meet someone and be like, wow, you'd be really great culture fit for our team, or we really like your attitude and your personality, but maybe you're not gonna, maybe realistically, we don't have enough work to accommodate somebody who's a little slower. It getting things done or you know like i think it can be hard for some companies to like be realistic about and also for the junior developer themselves like if they're accepting a position someplace that maybe deep down inside they know isn't going to be the best fit <laughs> but it you right. know like they really like the company or whatever or like you know it goes both ways i think it's it's a tough thing to hire for i think
1: and so when that junior developer starts off at his or her first job how do they start off on the right foot at- that job i mean what like what do i do on day one going in there <laughs> like, hey guys i'm the junior uh
2: bring cookies <laughs> um i i think what kind of what you said before is that having a lot of open communication and just being very honest about things is really important and being open and, and willing to sort of you know if, if you're really stuck on something or you're not picking up something right away And it it takes some courage to do this, you know, like being courageous enough to go to, you know, The person you're either reporting to, like maybe the senior dev you've been paired with to work with or, you know, that you're sort of whoever your go-to person is and just say like, I'm not getting this and I need more help or I'm confused or just something is not clicking and then getting the extra support and the extra help that you need sooner than later, I think is a huge thing. And just being really open and just from the get-go, making sure that both sides are being very clear about expectations and how those are or, or not necessarily being met. So You know, if you have a junior dev that maybe isn't performing as you would have expected that they would be, that you let them know sooner than later and then maybe help them figure out how they can make more rapid progress or give them extra tools to learn or, I don't know, like extra study materials or something to just kind of help them help themselves.
0: So you say pair programming is is really important. And it sounds kind of counterintuitive at first glance because you have two people sitting at one computer which seems like kind of a waste. So why is it important?
2: I think as a junior you you really get a ton out of working with a senior person. And even as a senior I think you also get I mean, I am not a senior so I'm speaking on the senior person's behalf. <laughs> but there's a lot to be learned from working with someone else and especially if you are sort of solidifying your workflow processes, it's super helpful. Like when you're if you're driving and you are having to like type in all the Git commands and you're pushing and pulling and stashing and popping and doing all the things that you do with Git, it really helps to have somebody sort of sitting there and just reminding you like, oh, now you need to bundle or oh, now you need to run your migrations or oh, now you need to do something else because it it helps just reinforce all those good habits and it also just helps you not get stuck. And
1: I, I think oh. good habits is actually a a fair point for it too because. You know, I'm far too likely to go cowboy in some cases, you know, and just like really go off the deep end in terms of like, well, I'm just doing a code spike right now. So it's OK. I'll write those tests later. And, you know, my code spike ends up lasting like two days straight. And till and, next week <laughs> right and, and then I come back around to it and I'm like, well, I mean you know, I've got a model test for like one of the models, so that probably covers a good amount you know uh, not saying that that's what's happening on my own iOS project right now. I, I mean luckily like this is this is, not. <laughs> this is what I do in my own projects I don't do this <laughs> elsewhere, but if I don't have that enforcement, I mean it really is like, just me working on the ios app right now it's not like when venkat and i are contracting together on something where you know he can do code reviews and you know i've got somebody there really to just be a backstop against
0: me going crazy (laughs) (laughs) and Yehuda cats only pair program so it's not just junior developers that benefit from this sure i didn't know that yeah uh, (laughs) luke was telling me about it actually so tom moved to new york and so Yehuda. It's actually hiring somebody else, so he can have somebody else to pay the program. <laughs> just like hiring. <laughs> Fantastic. <there. laughs> Quick, everyone apply.
2: Quick, everyone apply. to Go work with a all the time.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's like okay. So every single like Ruby and Rails developer listening to this is like, oh, hey, I know where my next job is.
2: <laughs> oh man, yeah, but but I mean, I think it's I think it's really helpful, and it just helps you. you know, you're having to communicate with a person. So you're not just like kind of going down rabbit holes by yourself. You're having to sort of speak about it and talk through things. And as a junior, that's really important because you're having to verbalize what's going on in your head. And that can be really hard. So you're having to explain to someone your thought process, which might be all over the place. And it can be hard to sort of make it into a coherent sentence. And then as a senior, I think from what I've seen, you know, working with seniors, it can be hard to break things down into understandable chunks for juniors. So it can be really be, a, I think, a pretty interesting learning experience on both sides, because they're having to slow down and, you know, kind of pace themselves and really think about like, why do I do things this way? Or why is the approach that I'm taking? Because, you know, you're sitting next to this person who hasn't done this that long. And they're probably asking a lot of like, well, why? Why? You know, they're, they're checking in with a lot of them, wondering what, what's going on. So it's, no, I think it's a. I think it's an interesting thing for for both sides, and it can be a really valuable learning experience for everyone.
1: Right. A- absolutely, I agree. Well, thank you again, Luisa, so much for coming on. I think this has been very valuable discussion, uh, certainly for the junior developers and soon to be junior developers, if any. You know, intermediate, senior, whatever else we were calling them, developers. <laughs> uh, we're listening to this as well. I hope you also learned something about how to mentor people. Um, so. Again, thank you for coming on. Can you tell us where we can keep up with you online?
2: Yes. So um, on Twitter, B wecb see underscore B. And currently, that's probably the, the best place. Okay. Each...
1: We'll put that in the show notes for sure. Okay. All right. Well, thanks again.
2: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This was really fun. It's great to talk to you guys.
1: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Talking Code podcast. If you haven't yet, make sure to sign up for our mailing list at TalkingCode.com. If you liked this episode please be sure to open up iTunes and leave us a review. And if you're dying for us to talk about something in particular, go to talkingcode.com ask and let us know. We read and respond to every listener question. So even if you just want a little advice, we're here to help.